Who is the disciple that Jesus loved? It's a phrase that comes up a lot in the Gospel of John, and you have probably heard that it was the Apostle John himself who is the disciple that Jesus loved. I want to take uh, a little bit, this is probably a shorter episode, I want to take a little bit and explain how maybe it's not the Apostle John that is the disciple whom Jesus loved. So that's what we're going to delve into in this episode. Hope you enjoy it. Well, as I said in the opening, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, very mysterious character in the Gospel of John. And you, if you've gone to church, if you've been involved in the church or Christianity for any length of time and any pastor has spoke about the Gospel of John, he has probably mentioned that there is this mysterious, the disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, kind of throughout the whole uh, gospel. Well, not throughout the whole gospel, throughout the last half of the gospel, as we'll see. But people wonder, who is this guy? Why does he refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved? And he's this disciple who's kind of leaning uh, on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. He's this he's, he's kind of weird character. And people say, well, he's not naming himself, and it's John's way of kind of staying in the background, but this is the Apostle John. And a lot of that comes from primarily church history, uh, there's early church fathers dating back to the second century that say it was the Apostle John is the one who was leaning on the chest of Jesus. And, of course, uh, this weaves its way through history. The Leonardo da Vinci's picture of the Last Supper has Jesus with his 12 disciples. So very there's kind of like pieces that allow us to put together that it's the Apostle John. But there's something within the text itself that may give us a clue as to the identity of who the apostle or who the disciple whom Jesus loved is. And this is kind of a an episode that's not, it's dealing with an issue that's really not all that important. I mean, who cares who the disciple whom Jesus loved is? And I think that's why it's a good issue to talk about, again, because it, it doesn't, it's not a, it's not a stumbling stone. It does not uh, challenge any church doctrine or any theology or any, it's it's not a major issue who the disciple who Jesus loved is. So for that reason alone, it's worth looking into. And, and the reason why I say it's a good issue to look into is because what we're doing is a form of deconstructionism. And this is kind of the, the underlying point that I want you to hopefully take away from this episode is there's this idea of deconstructionism. And maybe you've heard it kind of percolating in our culture but it dates back to like, you know, the 19th century. A lot of it with when it comes to the, the Bible deconstructing and, and with uh, with the Bible, it's called like biblical or textual criticism. And that doesn't mean like criticizing it, like, oh, this book sucks. Like it's like criticism mean like, like a critic would be digging through and analyzing it. And so it kind of comes from that, that school of thinking. And what it does is it, it challenges presupposed notions. So there's a lot of people within Christianity who usually uh, the end story, sadly, with these with these people is they end up walking away from the faith because they have this deconstructionist mindset where they're just questioning, question everything you've ever been taught about the Bible. Question all, you know, and so they end up questioning the divinity of Christ, whether he was a real person, all of these different truths, uh, whether or not man's sinful, every, they'll question everything. <clears throat> and then they'll end up walking away from the faith because they questioned everything out of existence. <clears throat> but I think it's good to to ask questions of the text 
and this this is a this is a very simple uh, subject. It doesn't really have any bearing on theology, so it's a good thing to to take a look at, and it helps to illuminate where where do we learn the things that we learn about Scripture, things that we hear. Oh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That that's the Apostle John. Well, where does that come from? Okay, well, it probably comes from books you might read. It might come from a sermon you heard. Where did your pastor get that? Well, it probably came from a commentary he read or something he learned in Bible school. And where does all of that come from? Well, a lot of it comes from the early church fathers. And I think that we should probably privilege some of the things that the early Christians said because they were closer to the source. And so they probably had knowledge that we didn't have. But they're not inerrant. They can be wrong about certain things. I mean, you think about somebody who wrote history about George Washington 100 years after the life of George Washington. Does that mean they're going to get everything right? Well, no, but they might have access to people who knew the events and, and, and knew some stuff. So we should maybe privilege them a little bit, but they're not inerrant. They could be wrong about certain things. So it's important to know where do we get our knowledge from? And with this disciple whom Jesus loved, it comes from early Christians, and it comes from just what we've been told by pastors. But I want to say, let's look at the Bible and see, oh, maybe the Bible actually gives us a better clue of who the disciple whom Jesus loved is. So if we click over to uh, John, we'll start in John, uh, let's start in John 13. That is the first appearance. And I'm going to blow through these five appearances pretty quickly uh, of the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is at the Last Supper. It says, uh, he's, Jesus has told them, you know, one of you is going to betray me. The disciples began to look at one another, worried and perplexed to know which of them he was talking about. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was at the table to the right of Jesus in the place of honor. So Simon Peter gestured to this disciple and asked Jesus who it was he was referring to. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved leaned back against Jesus' chest and asked him, who was it that's going to betray you? And then Jesus tells him, basically says it's the guy who's going to do this right here, and the one who's going to uh, dip the bread and give this piece to and he gives it to Judas. Now, what we know from the other, uh, what we know from the other gospels, is that this, the other gospels say that Jesus is in this upper room with his twelve disciples. So we tend to believe that he's there only with his twelve disciples. And of course, Da Vinci paints the Last Supper with who? Jesus and his twelve disciples. Now, it doesn't say he's only there with his 12 disciples. Now, this is a, this kind of gets to the heart of some of the things, you know, like the, the, the criticisms and the contradictions that people level up the Gospels. Because, for instance, in one Gospel, it might say, Peter told a slave girl, no, I, I don't know this guy. So he denied Jesus to a slave girl. And another might say, well, he said it to a group of people. Well, which was it? Was it a slave girl or was it a group of people? Well, maybe it was a slave girl who was in a group of people, and she was kind of the one doing most of the talking. So one gospel highlighted the girl, one didn't. So just saying, hey, you know, he was there with his 12 disciples doesn't mean that there weren't other people there. We know that there were other disciples. At one point, Jesus sent out 70 disciples to go out and preach. He sent them out two by two. There was a time when he sent out just the 12, but he sent out 70. And of course, we, we know the women, they were disciples, but they weren't part of the 12. So it doesn't mean that there was only 12, but that there were at least the 12 there. And what's significant is that this, when Judas is kind of outed, as you, you kind of wonder, like, how did they not know? Like, Jesus said, it's the guy who I'm going to hand this bread to. And he hands the bread to him. So 
how did they not know? Well, if you kind of put all of these together and you assume that maybe this disciple whom Jesus loved, who's leaning on the chest of Jesus and is being told this privy, this information, you know, he's whispering in his ear, who is it that's going to do this? Jesus might tell him, but if he doesn't scream it out in this crowd of people, maybe he's like, I'm not going to yell this out. In the other Gospels, it says the 12 were disputing. Who is it? Who's, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Whereas this guy, who, if he's John, he's part of the 12, so he wouldn't know. Yet John's Gospel is telling us Jesus told him directly. So maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's someone who's not the 12 who's being told this, right? Okay, so let's jump into uh, John 19. Uh, we're in John 13. Let's go to John 19. Okay, so here's the second appearance of the phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Verse 26. This is at the crucifixion. Uh, now standing beside Jesus' cross were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So there's all these Marys crammed around the cross. So when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing there, he said to his mother, woman, look, here's your son. Then he said to the disciple, look, here's your mother. Uh, from that time, he took the disciple. Uh, the disciple took her to his own home. So very famous passage. And again, this is where they say John kind of took her in, uh, in, in for the rest of her life. But that's assuming that the disciple whom Jesus loved is John, which may not be the case. If we jump to the next chapter, chapter 20, uh, this is the resurrection morning. Uh, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, saw that the stone had been moved away from the entrance. So she went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and told them they have taken the Lord from the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. So these two disciples run off to the tomb. Uh, again, historically, what people always say is it's Peter and John, but it's Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then in chapter 21, so it says after the resurrection, during the post-resurrection appearances, I'm going to skip down to the fifth mention. I'll go back up to the fourth mention. Um, well, no, let, let, let's not do that. Okay, well, we know that the disciple whom Jesus loved is in this group of people. Now, in verse 1, it says, They went fishing by the Sea of Tiberias, and that's how it was. And, and John gives us a list of who was in this group. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, this is Doubting Thomas, Nathaniel, who was from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two other disciples of his were together. Now, it could be more, just like the same uh, rule of thumb that we said about the Last Supper, just because it says that the 13 were there, doesn't mean that only the 13 were there, could have been others, but we know at least this group is there. So, uh, they go fishing, uh, Peter actually says, I'm going fishing. Or as the King James says, I go a-fishing. We'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat. And so they fish all night. And then Jesus, who's on the shore, uh, says, throw it on the other side. And then verse 7 says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Peter puts on his clothes, jumps in the water, swims up. So the disciple whom Jesus loved is in this group of people, right? But we are told who is in that group. And people often say, well, you know, in, in a... In the Gospel of John, John never names himself. He always calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, in that list, Simon, Simon Peter, uh, Thomas, Doubting Thomas, you had Nathaniel, 
you had the sons of Zebedee, which would be James and John, and then two other disciples. And then we're said the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's already named himself as the son of Zebedee. Now, granted, he doesn't come right out and say James and John, but that's who he's talking about. So maybe this other disciple is not John. Otherwise, he would have probably just said, one of the sons of Zebedee said so-and-so. If you've been a listener of Faith and Focus for a while, I would encourage you to become a supporter of the ministry by becoming a monthly donor. Your generous donations allow me to continue working within faith and recording new content. You can find a link to my donation page in the show notes for this episode. Thank you. Well, there's another appearance of the disciple whom Jesus loved at the end of chapter 21. And it's kind of an odd ending to the book of John, but they start talking about how they're going to die. <laughs> and uh, Jesus tells Peter, you know, what's, when you, you're going to be old and they're going to stretch out your hands in verse 18 and take you where you don't want to go. And he says he's indicating the kind of death that Peter was going to go through to glorify God. And then Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This was the disciple who leaned back against Jesus' chest with the meal and asked, Lord, who is it going to betray you? Peter saw him and asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus replied, if I want him to live until I come back, what concern is that of yours? You follow me. So the saying circulated among the brothers and sisters that the disciple was not going to die. But Jesus did not say to him that he was not going to die, but rather, if I want him to live until I come back, what concern is that of yours? So, uh, this disciple whom Jesus loved, he gets kind of one little final mention in, in, in the gospel. But who is the disciple whom Jesus loved? We're, we're left just trusting either the early church fathers, that it was John, or we're left just trusting commentaries or, or pastors or what theologians or whoever told us that that's who it is. But there could be a concrete, a very clear uh, a distinction in the gospel itself, telling us who the disciple whom Jesus loved is. Now, the, the gospel of John, I just had reread it uh, on my drive to the conference that I'm at, and I was just shocked at how much life is like the center point of the book. You know, Jesus came to give us life. Everyone who believes in him will have everlasting life. That is all over it. And then at the center point of the gospel, I mean, literally the center of it, it's all been crescendoing to this point. Jesus has been doing seven miracles, turning water to wine. He's been multiplying the, the loaves and loaves and fishes. He's been uh, healing the blind. He's been healing the lame. He's doing all these miracles, the seven signs in the book of John. And they culminate with this miracle literally right in the middle of the gospel that has to do with life and death. And it is in chapter 11. A certain man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village where Mary and his sister Martha lived. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with oil, wiped his feet, dried his hair. Brother Lazarus, Lazarus was sick. So the sister said to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Okay? Now what's interesting is, remember I read those five, five verses about the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Notice none of those happened in the first half of the gospel. The disciple whom Jesus loved is never mentioned in the first half of the gospel, but he's mentioned from chapter 13 on. And right before that is this raising of Lazarus from the dead. I mean, you know, you know the story. Jesus goes to the temple, or goes to the tomb, rather, and, and, and calls him out, and, and Lazarus comes back to life. And, and the, the, the Pharisees are upset about it. They're, the, 
there's been this this uh, fight basically between Jesus and the Pharisees all throughout the book where they're doubting his power, they're doubting his signs, they're doubting his ability, they're doubting his deity, they're doubting him as the Messiah. And he finally raises this guy from the dead and it brings basically everyone's like, okay, there's no denying this has to be the Messiah. And the Pharisees are like, no, the leaders of Israel are like, no, go find that Jesus, kill him and find this guy that he raised from the dead and kill him again. Because we're going to put a stop to this right now. And that's where the book just kind of accelerates in the last week of Jesus' life to his death and resurrection. The disciple whom Jesus loved never mentioned before chapter 11. It's mentioned in 13 through the end five times, six times. And right at that pivotal moment is this raising of Lazarus from the dead. Again, the Gospel of John is all about Jesus giving life to people. So the last sign is he literally gives life to this dead person, and we are told, Lord, look, the one who you love is sick. Isn't that ironic? Again, never before that, you know, does it say, Jesus, here's this, the one you love, here he comes. None, none of that. Lazarus is never mentioned before this. The one you love is never mentioned before this. But as soon as Lazarus is designated as the one whom you love, then uh, from then on out, the disciple whom Jesus loved is mentioned over and over and over again. Now, another point of significance is when you think about it that way, you know, okay, so why, why, would, why would Lazarus be writing himself, or why would the author of John be writing the disciple whom Jesus loved? Why wouldn't he just call him Lazarus? Well, I mean, there could be a couple of reasons. We're just speculating, but it could be things like maybe Lazarus went undercover. Maybe they really wanted to kill this guy. And so they're like, yeah, you know, let's just kind of keep him in the background. Let's not make him... Uh, very well known. Uh, the the end of the book, uh, people talk about who wrote the Gospel of John, and they often equate it with the disciple whom Jesus loved. But let me read that really quick, because I don't think that this is proof that the, the, the one who wrote the Gospel of John is also the one, to, you know, that would be kind of maybe problematic, because wait, are we saying Lazarus wrote the Gospel of John? Well, what was John's role in any of this? Why do we call it the Gospel of John? And in the end, it says, so they have the talk about, you know, Peter dying and stuff like that. And then in verse 24, it says, this is the disciple who testifies about these things and has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. There are many other things that Jesus did. And, you know, he kind of has his little poetic ending. No books in the world would be able to contain everything that Jesus did. So people equate that with the disciple whom Jesus loved. I don't read it that way. Is there anything that necessarily makes it read that way? He doesn't say this is the disciple whom Jesus loved and I'm testifying about these things. He's basically signing his name, saying this, right now, the person who's writing, is the disciple who testifies about these things. So this is kind of a signature. We might not know who, who wrote this. Again, I assume it's probably John. Maybe Lazarus did have a role in this, in, in writing the gospel and informing part of it too. We, we tend to think, this was one of the things I found interesting. I read a book called... Uh, misreading scripture through western eyes and it's how we read the bible and sometimes we misread things through our western bias through our western uh glasses and we misread things and we often think about these books that were written by the authors we picture them kind of like you know paul sitting down at a desk kind of like what i'm sitting at right now and writing the book of romans well we know that wasn't how it happened even within the text it says things you know like this is from paul and timothy and Sosthenes, you know, there was multiple people that were involved in the writing, 
And what they talked about in this book is it wasn't, you know, we think, again, I'm going to sit down at my desk. I need quiet. I need peace. And I'm going to write this all down. And it wasn't that way at all. It was much more a collaborative effort. You know, there would be a room full of people, almost like a school kind of where they're talking. People are coming in and out and they're discussing things. Should I write it this way? No, you should write it that way. Structure it this way. Do this, that. Now, there's an authority behind it. You know, Paul would be the, the authority and the inspiration who's maybe actually dictating, okay, this is the final say and how we're going to say it, because, of course, he's the one inspired by the Holy Spirit. But there would be a group collaborative effort. And so there's no reason to think that the Gospel of John might not be the same thing. But I tend to think that John wrote the Gospel. He was probably the one signing it there at the end. But there's no reason to think that that's tied to the disciple whom Jesus loved. And in fact, there's ample reason to think that the disciple whom Jesus loved is the one who Jesus loved. And it says, says it right in the text that the one who Jesus loved was Lazarus. And then when you read it through that lens, it also, it also helps make sense of the weird little interchange. Now, see, we read back into this interchange with Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved and Jesus, I mean, and the other disciples, because we know that from, again, from church history, that the apostle John didn't die. He died a natural life. Now, he, of course, was persecuted, but he, he, he died a, a natural death, albeit in isolation and in exile. And all the other disciples were, were persecuted, tortured, put to death, executed, and all that kind of stuff. And so we kind of read back into this interchange that happened a few days after Jesus' death, that they're curious about the apostle John, but they wouldn't have known that at the time that John was, that the other ones, first of all, were going to be persecuted that way, or, or that, uh, that, that John was going to live a longer natural life. What, what might they have been thinking, especially if Lazarus was right there in the group? They probably were thinking, what the heck is going to happen? You're talking about me, how I'm going to die? What about this dude who you raised from the dead? Right? So they told Peter how he's going to die. And Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who Jesus had just raised from the dead. That would be a natural question. If I saw somebody get raised from the dead, who'd been dead and in the grave for four days, I would think, is this person going to die? Are they going to live forever? What's the story with this guy? So uh, they said, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to live until I come back, what concern is that of yours? You follow me. So if he's going to live forever or live until I come back, that's between me and him and the Father and all that kind of stuff. And it says, so the, cir so the saying circulated among the believers and sisters that this disciple was not going to die. A weird saying, right? Jesus, they're, they're asking about, is he going to live until I come back? And they get this saying, this guy's not going to die. It'd be an odd thing to think about just John, just a random guy. It wouldn't be odd to think about somebody who had been raised from the dead. So Jesus kind of says this weird cryptic thing about a guy who had just been raised from the dead, and they think, well, this guy's not going to die. And John's letting us know, and maybe because Lazarus has died. Maybe he died a natural death, and, or maybe he got caught and they finally put him to death again. We don't really know. But maybe John's letting us know because the disciples, and it would have been circulated apparently amongst the brothers, and yeah, this guy Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead, he's not going to die. And maybe he did die, and John's letting us know, Jesus didn't say he wasn't going to die. He's just saying, if I want for him to live until I come back, what concern is that of yours? So, again, this is a, not a, a serious issue. It's not a super important issue. 
It's not like theology is going to rise or fall over who is the disciple whom Jesus loved. But my point in pointing these things out is, first of all, I think it's just fun to talk about this kind of stuff. It, it forces us to dig into the Bible, because if you are if you've grown up in the church and you've always heard that the disciple whom Jesus loved, and this is the first time you're hearing that, wait, maybe Lazarus is the is the disciple whom Jesus loved. You're going to be thinking, what? Like, how how was how did we miss this? And it might force you to dig into the Bible, so that's always a good thing. But no one's faith is going to be destroyed, I wouldn't think, because oh, Lazarus was the disciple whom Jesus loved, and not John. I mean, it doesn't mean Jesus didn't love John. Jesus loves everybody. But maybe Lazarus was this person who had this special relationship with Jesus. Uh, maybe not. Maybe it is John. Who knows? But hopefully, uh, just this fun little episode about who the disciple whom Jesus loved. Maybe, hope, maybe and hopefully this will help you uh, dig into the Bible to search for truth and to search for yourself and try to figure this out like a good Berean searching the scripture to see if these things be true. And if that's the worst thing that comes out of this episode is you read your Bible a little bit more. I'll consider that a victory. So that's what I have for you today. Have a good one. While Faith and Focus is a ministry of mine as a missionary within faith, the views and opinions expressed, believed, or lived out by myself or those appearing in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the position, beliefs, or opinions of in faith as a mission.